Well, today is the first Sunday of Lent, and um, we, I'm excited to journey. And what we've been doing is going through themes, as you could tell. And uh, if you've been reading your devotions, you know that that theme is spring cleaning. And so we want to begin thinking about that this, uh, this season of Lent. You know, Lent is this time, and you, as you may know, of us to consider our lives, to consider our relationship with Jesus, and consider those things in our lives that are not conformed yet into the image of Jesus. And so later on, after uh, we hear a word from the Lord, we are going to um, be able to respond appropriately, to feast on Jesus, and to also declare the things that we want uh, Jesus' blood to pay for in, in our lives. And so uh, if you want to open up your Bible and, uh, or take your phone, it, I don't know if you guys have know this or not, but in the app there's actually a Bible, and you can even take sermon notes alongside um, reading through that Bible, so that's just a helpful tool for you. You don't have to use it, but it is accessible through our app, and there's also um, those old traditional Bibles, the handhelds, uh, in front of you. So uh, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Listen to this gospel reading. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said to him, It is said, You should not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example that you have written down and penned through the author of Luke for us to read at this very moment as we begin this season of Lent. So, Father, I ask that you would open our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts to receive this word so that we can conform our lives to the life that you have always wanted us to have and can have through Jesus Christ. All this I pray in his powerful name. Amen. The season of Lent is before us, and before we have challenged ourselves to do some spring cleaning in our relationship with Jesus and in the life that we live in him, seeking to set aside the sins that we have made, that have made a mess in our life, and to walk by the Spirit towards a life of righteousness, seeking to reclaim the pieces of our life that have not yet been brought under the kingship of Jesus. Today, as we celebrate this first Sunday of Lent, the church has sought fit to bring to our attention the temptation of Jesus as a means to assist us as, uh, as we walk through this season of repentance, reflection, and reclamation. 
As you are about to see in this brief account of Jesus' life, there are truths presented to you that will help you as you seek to clean up your relationship with Jesus and to live a life in him. But before we get there, there are some things that you need to know heading into this temptation account. One, you need to understand that this temptation comes right before Jesus begins his ministry. And so if it is happening to Jesus, then we can probably assume that it might happen to you. As you begin the season of Lent and as you seek to really clean up your life, who do you think is going to be prowling around you the most? Who is the one that wants to deter you from the ministry that God has in store for you during this Lent season? So you need to be aware that before things begin, as you really have hopefully challenged yourself, that you are about to see how Jesus, before he begins his ministry, is able to shut the mouth of Satan. And he gives us this example before us so that we too can utilize this. The second thing you need to know is that Jesus, in his temptation, is not seeking approval from the Father. You see, in the very first verses of this passage that we just read, it says that he just came from the Jordan. What happened at Jordan? But Jesus' baptism. And what happened in Jesus' baptism? The Father spoke and says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And that comes before this temptation. So this temptation isn't about Jesus trying to lift himself up or to seek approval of the Father. It's something different. And when I believe that this account is for, is for us, actually. I believe that the, uh, Luke and Matthew and Mark all recount this story for us, for their audience, that they might know how it is that they can live their life in Jesus, that he goes to the cross to afford us. How is it that we can venture through this life with a lion seeking to kill us, the devil? How is it that we can overcome our sin but through Christ? And we have this account now. And it says this, that Jesus submits to this temptation willfully because the Father wills it and he's led into it by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that from the very first verse? Luke tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit. So Jesus submits himself to the Spirit to be led into a wilderness to be tempted. But it's not for the approval of the Father, but it's for you and it's for me to understand how it is that we can have victory in this life and overcome our sin in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 2, 18 says this, For since he, Jesus himself, was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. The temptation that we are about to read about, this event that happened in the life of Jesus, is so that Jesus can experience the same weakness that we experience and to endure the same temptations that we endure so that he can overcome them and then come to our aid. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Jesus does this and is tempted willfully so that he can come to our aid. And that's good news as we enter the season where we will be tempted. If you have challenged yourself hard enough to really look at your life, to purge from your life the sin that so easily entangles you, you're going to find yourself tempted, and you're going to find yourself weak. You're going to find yourself vulnerable. But praise be to God that Jesus has done this, and he was successful, he was victorious, and he will come to your aid. That's what this story is all about. The devil seeks to divide the son and the father and to deter him from accomplishing his ministry. This is evident in these three temptations that we're about to look. 
And as we will see, the devil is still up to his same schemes, seeking to get others to question the trustworthiness of God. It will become evident in these three temptations that the devil calls into question whether or not God can truly be trusted. But this time, he picked the fight with the wrong Adam. Jesus and the devil enter into a game of truth and dare. The devil dares or tempts Jesus in three ways. He tempts him physically, materially, and spiritually. But I want to focus on a different perspective. What what Satan is ultimately getting at is questioning, like I said, the trustworthiness of God. And so it's going to come down to these three temptations. Do you really trust in God's word? Do you really trust in God's work? And do you really trust in God's will for your life? Let's look at the first one, the first temptation in verses 3 and 4. Can you trust in God's word? Let's see what happens. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall, live not, man shall not live on bread alone. Here's the dare. Satan doesn't question whether or not that Jesus is the Son of God. That is not here. Here in the Greek, it's an affirmation. If you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God, then I dare you to use your power to provide for your physical needs. And the truth is that Jesus responds by declaring God's word, that he is in complete control of his flesh, that he's not ruled by his flesh. And he won't be ruled by anybody else but the Father. He certainly will not use his power to make easier for his humanity, to make it easier for his humanity because he wants to truly experience He needs to truly experience the weakness of his humanity so that he can come and save those who are beset with that weakness. He becomes man so that he can save man. Jesus clings to the truth and relies on the Father for all things. Jesus reveals to us that bread doesn't satisfy someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And it's interesting here, I wanted to point out a couple things about this so far. That one, Jesus is in a wilderness. A wilderness is a place that's very unpleasant and is very dangerous. And here over the season of Lent, you might find yourself in a similar situation. You might find yourself in similar places that are dangerous for you and that are extremely uncomfortable and unpleasant. But Jesus reveals to us that it doesn't matter where you are. If you cling to the word of God because he's trustworthy, you will be victorious. You see, Jesus obviously was starving for 40 days. He fasted and he was starving at the end of it. And the Satan knew exactly what, is, what he wanted. He became hungry, Luke tells us. Satan knows that. He knows exactly what would entice a human. But Jesus says, I don't, I don't, I'm not controlled by my flesh. I'm living in the spirit. I was brought out here by the spirit. And it's no mistake that Jesus emphasizes the word man here because Jesus is representing all mankind here to say, no, man doesn't just live to feed his physical body. The whole purpose of man's life is to be surrendered to God and to trust in God for his provision. Jesus also demonstrates that Any trust in yourself doesn't really meet your personal needs. That only trusting in God's word will you find all your needs fulfilled. 
Jesus demonstrates here that he is the better Israel and that he is completely relying on God to provide for his sustenance where Israel had manna in the wilderness and still grumbled. You see, this is an identical situation that as Jesus is being tempted, that he is facing the same temptations that happened to the nation of Israel. When God delivered them from the nation of Israel, he led them out into the wilderness and they grumbled. We're hungry. You brought us out here to die. And they were worried and they weren't relying on God's word or God's work. Instead, they weren't trusting in him at all. They would rather go and submit themselves to oppression than to commit themselves to living into the word of God and trusting in the one true God. They failed. And Jesus is demonstrating here, no, I'm the better Israel. I am doing what they were not able to do, and I will achieve that covenant blessing so that all those who are in me will be blessed. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing us that he will not allow his own physical needs to abuse his power weaken his trust, or control him. We see that Jesus is a better Adam to represent us in that he refuses to fall prey to what appears to be pleasing to the eye. Jesus will not eat the forbidden fruit because his appetite is controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. And how easy have we been carried away by the slightest growl of our stomachs? Or how our attitudes have changed so easily Because we're bent, because we're hangry. Our bellies seem to be our God. Philippians 3.18 and 19 says this. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame who set their minds on earthly things. But Jesus, right out of the gate, shows us a different way to overcome our flesh and be completely in control of our desires. Jesus is empowered by the Spirit and equipped with the Word of God so that these truths can be made evident in our life. Galatians 5.16, I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 1 Corinthians 9.27, but I discipline my body, Paul says, and make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Psalms 119.11, your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Jesus is manifesting the power of what it is to live by the Spirit and to walk in the word of God. He is demonstrating that to us. The second temptation, can we really trust in God's work? Verses 5 through 8. And he led him, Jesus, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, you worship, therefore if you worship before me, it shall be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil dares Jesus to worship him, to achieve all the kingdoms of the world. The devil has been given temporary domain as the prince of this world, and he offers what he has to Jesus in exchange for his service and his worship. But the tiny little prince hands doesn't know that he is talking to the king. 
Who made all of creation? And who will ransom the kingdoms from the hands of the devil and reclaim them for himself? Not by the simple way of asking Satan for it, by going to be crucified on a cross, to be buried in the ground, and for his father to raise him from the dead. That's how he will reclaim the kingdoms. Jesus knows how to build the kingdom because he was there at the beginning. He knows how to build the everlasting kingdom that will not pass away, will not exchange to another's hands. It is through the hard work and roads not traveled by the world or the devil, but by the roads less traveled. I find it funny here that in, in these three temptations, we can observe that the devil always refers to him as the son of God, except for when he's asking him to worship him. He leaves out that title. Why'd you leave that out, big guy? <laughs> well, what, are you, what are you trying to pull over on the king? You're claiming your princehood over the world, and yeah, you temporarily have it, but do you not know that the one who stands before you is the very son of God? Because that's what you said in the last temptation, but this temptation you conveniently left that one out. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and very few find it. Lasting kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ, isn't taken by easy advantage. It's difficult. God doesn't give you a life and, and, and say, hey, everything's going to be really hunky-dory, and it's going to be smooth sailing from here. If Jesus, his very own son, submits himself to the work of the kingdom, and the hard work of the kingdom, then can we not also come to experience the same thing when we work in the kingdom? You also can't serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus reveals to us that to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to serve the king. Your service to the king will come with difficulty and be traveled on a road that is not heavily traveled. This means that your allegiance to God in worshiping him requires your service in the kingdom, which is to look differently than the rest of the world. But is that how your life would be described? Is that how your dedication would reveal that you worship the king? that you are different than the world, that you take the road less traveled? Are you the one that finds yourselves in the company of so many that travel this world, but yet they are walking to their own destruction? How quickly have we served the wrong master? I would bet that each one of us have experienced successes, achievements, and even some level of glory through easy means without having to give up anything in our lives. Some of us even are counted among the children of God without having to change anything in our personal lives. We learn from Jesus here that to achieve God's will for you, you have to serve him. And the service to him isn't going to be easy in this world that opposes him. But if you serve and worship anything else but God, you may find that it is easier, but you will be walking towards your 
end, your destruction. You may gain reward, but really have only forfeited your soul. You cannot serve two masters. You are either with Jesus and the way of the cross, achieving God's glory, or you are with Satan and all the world, taking the easy way, achieving your own glory. Mark 8, 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Satan challenges Jesus and dares him to claim the kingdom a different way. And this is before he begins his ministry. And as you turn the pages and begin to read, as Jesus begins his ministry, he says, I've come to bring the kingdom. And you look at Jesus' life as you read through the Gospels, and you say, that, that's, that's really difficult. The opposition, the, the ridicule, the people trying to take his life from him. Man, that does not seem like the very thing I, I kind of want to sign up for. I really think here where it is revealed to us in this temptation that there is a dividing line. There really is between those who believe in the one true God and those who don't. And I would challenge us to take a really hard look at our lives to see if it really does manifest those attributes that Jesus reveals to us, that this is the kingdom life and this is the kingdom world. And it's not easy. Our lives should be different. We should be set apart than everybody else. Everybody else will probably look at us weird, and that's fine if you really love Jesus and only love him. But if you seek the approval of man and if you seek to, to keep up with the Joneses across the street, then I don't know what to tell you. And I would wonder whether or not Jesus is enough for you. Because you can't have Jesus and then all the other things that you want to accumulate for yourself. It's Jesus or nothing. I really believe that. And the third temptation in verses 9 through 12. So far we've seen temptations questioning whether we can trust in God's word, whether we can trust in God's work, and now we're going to see a temptation that will question and challenge whether we can trust in God's will for our lives. 9 through 12. And the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Man, I just, uh, his words spoke to me. So far, in every one of these temptations, there is a, a trigger, as you read it, that should call your attention to something. The first one was how Jesus points out that man should not live on bread alone, but should dwell on the word of God and live by the word of God alone, that that's our greatest need. The second one was the fact that uh, the devil omitted the, the title of Jesus as the son of God, and here, Luke reveals something specific, the word Jerusalem. When he led him to Jerusalem, this should cause our mind to understand what is it so significant about Jerusalem. Here's the cool thing. In the book of Luke, he has this theme that traces all the way through the whole entire book. Luke intentionally writes about Jerusalem. 
You can read the early stories of Jesus' life when he was a baby, as an infant. His parents and him are going back and forth to Jerusalem. Here, we're given the account of Jesus being led by the Spirit and then the devil taking him to Jerusalem to the temple. Right? And then later, in uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus literally, it says, Luke says, he turns his face to Jerusalem because he's going to go die on the cross. And nothing's going to deter him. And then after that, Jesus says, hey, my disciples are going to wait here in Jerusalem to receive the Spirit. The Spirit that when I ascend, I will send down to them. Jerusalem's a huge theme here. And so our mind, for this temptation to fully grasp its meaning and significance, we have to understand that what lies in Jerusalem is the, what is being tempted here by the devil. And he led them to Jerusalem, not just to any old side street, but to the temple, the place where people come to worship, where the presence of God is to be made known, where people can have that in, be in relationship with God, right? So he takes them to that high point on the temple, sits them on top of the temple, and he says, okay, if you're here to die for the people, if you're here to redeem the people, then do it now. Do it right now. Throw yourself down. Commit your life to die. And Jesus looks at the devil and says, I, ain't, I didn't leave my throne and set aside my everything that I have. To be set with weakness, to come and jump off a temple, I come here to give my whole life for the sake of these people, to bear the cross, to die the most excruciating death so that they might know that what I do is completely done. And I'm not going to have the angels carry me up because I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to go to the ground and my Father is going to raise me up because in the power of the resurrection, it will sustain for all eternity those who are in me. I'm not going to take the easy way out. That's not how we do things. That's not what this kingdom's about. I have come here to die, but I won't die in this way. That's what Jesus is ultimately saying. That's what we can glean from this passage, from this temptation. And the word Jerusalem tips us off to all of that. So it does become important the way Jesus is to die, not just some flippant way a way that will satisfy the wrath of God and afford the lives that all of us really do long to live in peace and in righteousness and in right relationship with God. And Jesus has to endure the cross to do that. And Jesus knows this. He knows that this is the will of the Father and he has come to accomplish the will of the Father and he won't be deterred by anything else, especially not some kind of gimmick of just falling off the temple. The devil tempts Jesus in trusting the will of the Father. Would he really be, would Jesus really be committed to the way of the cross? If he is to suffer death, then why not just die here, now? And remember, there are several moments in Jesus' ministry, if you keep on reading and turn the pages, where people are seeking to kill him, but he was able to escape because it was not his appointed time. But only the will of the Father is to be sought. We should never test God by trusting in our own will over his in an effort to place ourselves on the, as if we are placing ourselves on the same level of God, knowing what is best for our lives. 
A true servant of God seeks the will of God, even if the will of God spends or makes forfeit their life. And I know that sounds radical and difficult to embrace, but will you obey even if the road is hard? Or do you often pursue the avenues that present something easier? How committed are you to seeing God's will for your life come to fruition? Do you ask for the will of God in your life, but test him by seeking your own? Do you think, what do you think would change in your life if you completely surrendered every aspect of your life to the will of God? Would you still have the job that you have? Would you still be living where you live? Would you still be involved in the things you spend most of your time doing? Would you find yourself in the house of the Lord as often as the doors are unlocked? Jesus shows us that he will only take on the will of the Father. Will you become like Jesus in your life? Luke 22, 42 says, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is fully committed to the will of God for his life and does not pursue his own, does not pursue anything else. He stays the course and he remains. And I have to confess that I know what it is like to take a detour from the will of God. It only led to the building up of my pride and then the tearing down of my life. I can testify this morning that strolling down a path that is not part of God's will does surely lead to, lead to an easy, easier appeal. But make no mistake, you will find yourself on your knees in ruin before too terribly long. Is that the life you desire? Choosing your way will lead you to having doubt, questioning truth, looking over your shoulder, inviting drama that you really don't want to have, broken relationships. It will rob you of true joy because choosing your own path is putting yourself above everything and everyone else in your life, which is extremely selfish and none of us, and none of us like to be around selfish people. But following God's will for your life will put God at the center of it and bring loving kindness to you and the others around you and the fact that he is the most wise since he created life and created all things. I think he knows better than we do how we ought to be living our lives, what decisions we ought to be making. I can, I can testify to you this morning that there was a moment in my life to where I literally made the decision to go down this particular path because I thought it would afford me the better relationships. It would give me more money. It would do this. It would do that. Oh, this seems like this path is the solution to all the problems in my life. And that is the day over 10 years ago where I decided to leave the ministry and pursue a life. And it was decent at first. It started off pretty good. I made a lot of headway with a lot of people, earned a lot of respect because I was a workaholic, which meant I didn't spend much time with my family. I was making the front page paper because of how good I was as a probation officer, cleaning up the streets from drugs. And I got boastful. And it led to my downfall. That that path led me ultimately to being on my knees, crying out, having lost my family, having done this, that, and the other thing. What it ultimately led to is my own jail time where people chanting a general population were chanting my name because they despised me and they hate me. Have you ever been in a jail cell where you're singled out and you have 
walls rumbling and your name being proclaimed and you don't know who's going to come through the door to shank you. That's where my will led to. And praise be to God that he saved me. And it still took a few years for me because of my guilt and shame to really come into and live into the will of God for my life. Because I really believed when I was 18 that he called me into ministry. And then I went down a path that, that, I, that was all about me and not about him. And then he called me back. So I could testify to you that you guys might have really nice jobs. You guys might set up your families really well. Things might appear to be really ordered in your life. And you've done it by the work of your hands. You will find yourself on your knees one day. Maybe not anytime soon, but one day. You need to seek the will of God, which means it might require you to make a job change. It might require you to change certain things. You might have to not play basketball anymore, not play as much sports anymore, do whatever. that It's up to the Lord what he wants to do with your life. Will you empty yourself and pursue after the will of God? Isn't this what we should be considering at the season of Lent? It's to say, you know, Lord, maybe I'm not following your will, and I need to consider that. Would I not take this moment and this time over these next 40 days to consider what it is that you have for my life? So what can we conclude from these three temptations? Well, first and foremost, we can conclude that Jesus is the better Adam. By not making his own fruit and satisfying his own desires of the flesh, Jesus affirms that he is the better Adam, who represents all those who believe in him. Jesus demonstrates for us that by being empowered by the Spirit and living in the Word of God, that you can overcome any physical temptation. How many of us struggle with physical temptation? All of us. And Jesus points to the reality that in him and by the Holy Spirit, you possess the tools to overcome. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says this, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many are made righteous. Jesus is the better Adam. He demonstrates that by overcoming the temptations. He affords us a life of righteousness through his blood and then gives us his spirit to equip us to overcome. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 23, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also is in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ is the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ's are coming. Jesus represents a better Adam, and then Jesus represents a better Israel, as I've already mentioned. By not serving and worshiping another, Jesus represents a better Israel by doing what Israel did not do. He serves the one true God and serves him only. Israel in the wilderness 
was so easily led astray to worship after false gods and idols because they wanted to be like every other kingdom of the world. They wanted to be like all their neighbors. And Jesus affirms that he is the better Israel by being tempted to worship another but remaining faithful. He therefore fulfills the covenant and now all those who are in him will reap the covenant blessing. Not only does Jesus represent a better Adam, a better Israel, but he represents a better you. Jesus doesn't submit to temptation because he needs to prove himself. He submits to these temptations to demonstrate to us the possibilities of the life lived in the word and lived by the spirit. That a life that seeks to be lived like Jesus will walk according to the spirit, which will obey God's word, ordering things right in their own life. A life in control of the flesh. And we all know how much trouble we get into when our, fr- our flesh is ruling our lives. A life that serves God regardless of outcome or challenge. Where it would be said of us that we truly believed and lived a life like Jesus. That's what Jesus is representing to us in this event. A life that was ordered by pursuing God's will, not his own. He might show us a more excellent way. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So this temptation account is revealing to us how we overcome temptation. Jesus is demonstrating to that. We read this story about Jesus' life and it's a story that gets to the very heart of us. The story should encourage us as we enter a season of Lent that regardless of testing or temptations that will come, we can overcome them in a life that, uh, in Jesus, living by spirit and truth. A life empowered by the Holy Spirit and in obedience to the word of God are the effective tools that we can use to vanquish our enemy and live a life like Jesus. What better news do you want as we begin the season of Lent? At a time where you are seeking to clean up the plates that your flesh feeds off of, your dirty laundry that your sin is, that is covered in your sin, and your broken relationships with Jesus for, because of your love affair with your idols. We all have some cleaning up to do, and God's word and the Holy Spirit will help you accomplish it. They will afford you the victory and temptation, the direction towards God's will, and the resolve to endure even if the road is long and rough. There's another point that I want to mention here. Something that isn't obvious to the eye as you read this text. It's, it's kind of obvious to see that the tools that Jesus is utilizing to overcome temptation is the power of the Holy Spirit. He was carried to the Spirit. The Spirit de- descended upon him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was also clinging and had the Word of God in his heart so that he, he wouldn't sin. And he clinged to it. He believed it. He trusted in it. But there's something else here that I think is evident and needs to be put in our arsenal of equipment to overcome the enemy, and that's weakness. And you're saying, well, how is that? How is weakness a tool? How does weakness lead to victory? Weakness is an essential tool because we get out of the way, because it demonstrates that we can't do this. We need somebody else to do it for us. We're beset with weakness, and Jesus was vulnerable. And Jesus was beset with weakness. And he demonstrates that if you really want a life 
that's victorious over the enemy and over sin, you have to be willing to be weak. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says this, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, weakness is a tool because you get out of the way and I'll invite the spirit to come into your life and start cleaning house. Start ordering things right. Start reclaiming your life. Start overcoming sin. Start having victories when you're tempted. We're called to a life of weakness because when we are weak, he is made strong. The world doesn't see that. The world would call you weak. It will persecute you. It says you're making things too difficult for yourself. And that's hopefully when you can respond. That's exactly the will of the Lord for my life. And I serve King Jesus. I don't serve anybody else. And if this is happening to me, it's happening for my good, for my salvation. So the question then becomes, okay, thank you for the tutorial and the journey through the temptation of Jesus. But what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, that's a great question. How, what does this have to do with the season of Lent? I'm glad you asked. Jesus is speaking to us from this text that if we truly trust him, then we will accomplish the cleanliness that we are seeking during the season of Lent. That if you will surrender and completely trust in God's word, that you completely devote yourself to God's work, and you completely follow God's will and not your own, it will afford you the life that you've been looking for, that you're trying to commit to in the season of Lent. That you don't have to fall into the trap of a game of truth and dare. That there will be no dare in your life. Because it's riddled with truth and living by it. God's truth has already been shown by Jesus in this account that it wins at all things, at all costs. So will you trust it now? Will you live by the Spirit so that you will not satisfy the desires of your flesh? Will you hide God's word in your heart so that you will not sin against him? Will you take hold of the life that Jesus gives you and desperately wants you to have? I can tell you, and this is not a position of boasting, this is just a position of really knowing our hearts, is that each and every week you guys are on our minds and our greatest desire is for you to know Christ above all things and for you to have the most deepest, re intimate relationship. And we know that sin prohibits some of that. We know that there's difficult things and challenges in your life and we're willing to walk alongside you with that. That's what this body's all about, but that's what we want. We just don't want you to show up occasionally on Sundays. We want you to show up all the time so we can build you up, fill you up and encourage you and equip you through the preaching of God's word through the reciting of God's word, through the worshiping and praising God's name for the victories that we've had this week. May we be a people here at Harvest Point that takes what Jesus lays before us in this account that we just read and walk with him, empowered by a spirit that makes us more than conquerors in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that through your loving kindness you are calling us to repent and that you draw us to repentance through that loving kindness. And Father, you have given us everything we need because Jesus has died for us and that you have raised him from the dead and that he ascended into 
heaven and sits at your right hand and that he sent the helper, the great counselor, the Holy Spirit into our lives to live the life that you have created us to live. And Father, I'll be honest, I do not know why I and many of us now still cling to the old ways of life because we know that they really don't end up doing the things that we know that we shouldn't be doing. We know that we need you. So Father, make us weak. Bring us to an end of ourselves so that you can fill us completely up, that we might truly be temples of you walking around this world, shining your light in the dark places. Our lives matter because you gave your son for them. And so, Father, may we use them to bring you honor and glory in all things. And as we reflect, as we repent, and as we seek out the things that will bring us a deeper relationship with you this Lenten season, may you walk with us, help us, and encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.